Good morning. Please be seated. It is my distinct pleasure this morning to introduce you to two beautiful young ladies. Y'all want to come on up? You can come up too. Yeah, you can move together. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it's fine. All right. So uh, this is our parent-child dedication. So I want to introduce two young ladies to you. Uh, the first is Abigail Lucille Dennis, and um, she was born December the fifteenth in twenty twenty. And of course, the parents are Colby and Kelsey Dennis. And if you're a part of Abigail's family, if you would stand for us, please. Introduce you by name to a few of them, uh, Richard and Alicia Disney, grandparents, Mike Smith and Rick Youngblood, grandparents, and Anthony and Jennifer Dennis, grandparents. So you can clap for her if you want to. That's fine. <laughs> All right. And next is Nora. You can sit down. I'm sorry. You can, sit down. you can stay standing, Richard. I know you're excited. You can stay standing. <laughs> All right. Next is Nora Jean Holmes. Uh, born November the 25th, 2020. Parents are Troy and Cheris Holmes. And if you're a part of her family, you can stand, both of you. Um, grandparents are Doug and Ladine Axtell, Kyle and Cindy Holmes, uh, Aunt uh, Leah Holmes and Uncle Joshua Axtell. We can... Awesome. Okay, so as, as tradition, we, we have a responsive reading that we want to ask you to share with us, and it will be on the screen for you. Your part is very minor compared to historically, so just keep that in mind. And, and, I'm sorry, great-grandma. So I just read what they give me, Nancy. I'm sorry. Great-grandma. Okay, so let's do the congregational reading. Before you this morning, these parents stand with their children, each a wondrous gift from God. As a church family, we give thanks to God for these precious children. How richly God has blessed each family standing before you here today. Will you join, me, join with me in giving thanks for these children who are indeed a gift from God and for these families to whom they belong? Very good. Parents, your presence here today indicates your gratitude and commitment to raise your, ch your ch children in a Christian home under the divine leadership of the Lord. Congregation, will you pray for these parents as they seek God's leadership in Christian parenting with his wisdom as a guide to face the many decisions of parenting in the coming years? Parents, will you dedicate your time and energy to the solemn commitment of Christian parenting? Understanding this includes teaching and guiding your children toward the ultimate decision of salvation. Will you commit to being good examples and serve as members of the body of Christ, the church? Yes. Parents, in the years to come, you will find many experiences full of excitement, joy, and promise. Difficulties and hardships are also a part of this life, and none of us, children or parents, can be exempt from struggle. Just as you praise the Lord and thank him for the good times, remember to rely on his leadership in the difficult times. Congregation, will you show your love for these families by promising to rejoice with them during the joyful times and promise to support them with prayer and service during the difficult times? By these actions, you show your love for them. Parents, you are here to dedicate yourselves to God, asking him to help you live, serve, and parent so that your children can see God's direct influence in you. 
Is it your intention to dedicate your, your child to God, promising to teach them to follow his loving rules for our lives? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two beautiful young ladies. We thank you for their potential and their possibility. We pray for the families and pray that you be with them and comfort them. And we pray for the parents especially, that you give them wisdom and clarity and knowing how to raise their children and how to lead them and guide them. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And Lord, we just pray especially that these young ladies would come to know you and live for you. And it's in that wonderful and precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. What could possibly be better than to witness the dedication of two precious children? Wow. Pretty cool. We're so glad you're here this morning with us. We're glad you're here with us in the worship service. Uh, we're glad you're with us online. If you were online, you missed a treat seeing these beautiful little faces up close. I just want to, you know, sorry. Um, we're glad you're worshiping with us. want to give you uh, uh, just a little update. Uh, there's um, several ways that you can give. You can text give to uh, the number on the screen. You can drop in the baskets if you're here uh, personally. You can uh, do an online giving. Uh, and I, and I got to say, I've got to commend the fellowship on your faithfulness during this time. It is remarkable through all of the COVID things and through everything that we've gone through, you have been faithful in giving and in serving, and I'm just proud of you, I got to say. So thank you. Let's worship together.
God, we come this morning thanking you that we worship a resurrected Savior. That in spite of our faults, in, fi- in spite of our shortcomings, that Jesus made the sacrifice for us. We can't earn it. We're not good enough. There's a, not enough service projects, money, things on this planet that allow us co- to connect to you. And it is Jesus and Jesus alone that does that. We praise his name this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to connect with you.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've won the victory, that you are winning the victory, and that you will win. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. We're so grateful for the privilege that we have to be your children. And Father, I pray that we never forget that it is a beautiful gift of grace, not something we've earned, but something you've given. So Father, I pray that as we go through this time together that you open our hearts and our minds to you. We pray that your spirit would guide us, transform us, and make us new. Bless this time and use it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we've been talking about um, home renovation and how spiritual truths have been relearned through that. And one of the things that was overwhelmingly incredible in doing a home renovation was that nothing ever seems to be what it appears. So what I mean by that, if you take down a wall to put up a new wall, what you find behind the wall is not stuff you're supposed to find behind the wall, right? Or if you take up the floor, you find underneath the floor what's not supposed to be under the floor. I can't tell you how many times in the process that we said in a negative way the name of the man who was the one who put this house together. And it was like, what were you thinking? Well, one day, uh, one day, uh, Donnie and Amy George, who helped us a lot through this process, or as I call them, Chip and Joanna, um, they, were, they were over at the house helping, and there was a, a room off the kitchen that we were going to have fluorescent lights we were going to take down, which we, which we did, but then it had a ceiling that had to come down. And so I don't remember what Donnie and I were doing, but the ladies were trying to pull the ceiling down, and they struggled and they struggled and they struggled until finally they pulled it down. And when they did, I kid you not, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pecans fell to the floor. <laughs> now, had we not taken that ceiling down, we would have never known they were there. Um, but things just weren't as they appeared. Unfortunately, the critter that put the pecans there was not there. Um, but... It was just this incredible, it was raining pecans. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing ever. So you, you look at that and, and you realize when you go through this process, especially on these older houses, you never know what you're going to find when you open up a wall or a floor or a ceiling. Now, I tell you that because there's a significant spiritual truth for us as individuals and with people. See, what you see on the outside is not always what is real can't judge a book by its cover, we say. And I know as we have prayer times where we prayer walk and we go through the community, I'm reminded as I look at homes, no matter what it looks like on the outside, even if it's perfectly cared for, I, I look at it and say, I don't know what goes on behind that door. It may be beautiful on the outside, but once you get inside that door, there may be horrible things or wonderful things that happen there. Because things are not always as they appear. And sometimes we as people put off a presence that we want people to see. And, and what they see is not what's real. And the flip side of that is when we look at people, we can't really know their journeys. Unless we really know them. 
So I tell you that because we're going to talk about a story of a, of a woman who had a journey that we don't understand. A journey that she was misconstrued, misunderstood, if you will. And in fact, it happens just uh, in the same chapter we talked about last week. Jesus had just healed the widow's son, brought him back to life. Then there's a section about Jesus uh, and talking about John the Baptist and, and just uh, heaping all kinds of praise on John the Baptist and who he was. And then this story picks up, and so we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and it's a significant story for us, I think, if we'll pay attention. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, uh, it starts on page 1035 if you're using the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Powerful, powerful story. And, and Again, there's, there's probably three or four sermons in there. I won't do that to you in one day. But there are a couple of things that, that I, I, I think are just really, really big for us. And, and I think we need to know this first one, and we need to be reminded over and over again. People who do not follow Jesus are people. They have hurts. They have disappointment. They have heartache. And many of them have guilt. See, sometimes we look at people who don't follow Jesus and we see their lifestyle and we say, well, that's them and we're us, and so we don't want to have anything to do with them. And we forget this reality that they are people who were created in the image of God, who are real people who have real struggles. And I want you to, to think about this woman. So let's go back to the story just a little bit. One of the Pharisees, verse 36, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
One of two things is going on here. It was a tradition when a rabbi would speak in a synagogue that one of the leaders of the synagogue would invite him over to eat. The other possibility, which is more likely in this case, Jesus had just brought a dead guy back to life, and they wanted to find out who he really was. That's probably what's going on. And Jesus went. And then you go on, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to, weep, to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We don't know anything about this woman other than she was a sinner. What a way to be remembered in Scripture, right? And the truth is, we, we don't know what her sin was, she probably was not someone who robbed people or murdered people. More than likely, her sin had to do with some um, illicit sexual activity. Either she was unfaithful to her husband or she lived a life of prostitution. We don't know. But we do know that she had that kind of lifestyle because that would have been common for that kind of statement about her being a sinner. And so there was something going on inside of her. There was something in her life that she needed fixed and she knew it. Something wasn't right, and she heard about Jesus raising this dead guy back to life, and he came to town, and she was like, I got to take a chance, because maybe he's the one who can fix this. And I assume when you read the story that what she was dealing with was an incredibly deep guilt that she could not get past. She was hurting so deeply, she couldn't find peace, she couldn't find forgiveness, and so she took a big chance. See, she walked into a home where she was not welcome because that home would instantly become unclean. But she said, I have to go. I've always wondered why Simon let her in. I think there's probably another story there. But she came into a house where she wasn't welcome, a house where she would have never been allowed in. But she took the chance and went in anyway. She walked into a room full of men who, save one, saw nothing good about her. Who would condemn her, who would attack her, who would verbally tell her how horrible she was. But she took the chance and she walked into the room full of these men anyway, because Jesus was the only shot she had. It's the only hope. I have all of this in me and, and I have to deal with it and I don't know how. I think this is the guy who can help me. And the other risk that she took is she risked the possibility that Jesus would reject her. See, on this side of the cross, we know that wouldn't have happened, but she didn't know that. She just heard this was a guy healing people, telling great stories. He sounds like a prophet. Maybe he can fix what's wrong with me. There was something down inside of her that needed to be fixed, and she knew it, and she didn't know what to do about it. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus could do it. So she said, well, I don't care what they think. I have to try this. Because it's the only shot I've got. Hear me when I say this. There are desperate, desperate people that are looking for what we have to offer. They don't know they're looking for what they have to offer, what we have to offer. They don't know that yet. 
But they are in search and they are hurting and they have guilt and they have difficulties that they can't understand. And, and the one thing that will fix it, they don't know the answer. But the problem is, is we forget that we used to be just like them. Well, one, of the, one of the issues I think that is just, just is mind-boggling to me with everything that's going on in the world is we have this capacity to look at people and look down on them because of who they are. But have you ever thought about this reality? that not one person in this room chose the family they were born into? Not one of you. You didn't pick it. It wasn't like you were in heaven and you found a list and said, oh, I want that one. And the idea that, that one ethnicity can look down on another ethnicity because of the family they were born to is ridiculous to me. Not one person picked the family they were born into. And the flip side, and the other part of this, is that we don't know people's stories. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know the heartache they've had. We don't know the disappointment they've had. We don't know how they were treated as children. We don't, we don't know their story. And the truth is, is sometimes we have to realize that if we had the same experiences they had, we'd end up just like them. That's hard to hear, huh? But it's true. I was reminded of a story this week, and I got to look up his name because I'll forget it. Uh, his name is John Bradford. John Bradford was a Protestant pastor in the 1550s in England. Now, Queen Mary I was the queen at the time. And just so you know a little of the story, her dad, Henry VIII, um, he wanted to divorce his wife. The Pope said no, so he just, all right, I'll start my own denomination, which he did, and uh, became the Church of England. And so throughout his reign, the Anglican Church became the, the Church of England, the dominant church. Well, well, Henry died, and his daughter Mary became queen, and she was a very devout Roman Catholic. And so she was determined to get England back into Catholicism. And so she decided that the way to do that was to killed the Protestant leaders. And so she only reigned for five years and killed almost 300 Protestant leaders, had them hanged, hung, however that goes. Anyway, they were taken to the gallows and died. So, but before, and, and eventually, uh, John Bradford was killed that way. But before he was, there was one day he was standing with someone and a criminal, not because they were Protestant, but, but someone who had committed a crime and been convicted was being taken to the gallows to be killed. And he was having a conversation with someone, and, and someone said to him something like, can you believe this person chose that lifestyle, made the decisions that they made, that they did whatever crime that they committed? And his response has become a, a classic response. But he looked at the, at the individual, and he pointed at the one who was going to the gallows and says, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. Because here's what he knew. He knew he didn't have the same story as that person. And he knew if he was put into their story, he may end up in the same exact spot. He said, but for the grace of God, that could be me. And with all the tension that's going on in our world and all the difficulties that are happening, I think as followers of Jesus, one of the things we have to do is we have to step back and we have to be willing to say, that could be me. I could have made that choice. If I was raised the same way in the same family, that could have been me. I hope that it wouldn't have been, but it could have been. 
because I don't know their story. See, that's what was going on with the woman. She had a story that was very real and very hard, and she was very much an outcast, and she had no hope. Well, she took a chance on Jesus. And we often forget that when people go down that road, Jesus loves them too. Right? And so I know that one of the things that happens when, when we talk about this is people will step back and say, well, people don't have responsibility for, for their actions. Yes, they do. Yes, they do, but it doesn't, we don't know how they got there. So there's a second part of this, though, that I think is very important for us. In that room that day, there were two responses to this woman. One from Jesus and one from everybody else. Okay, so let's look at what, what they said. So Simon said, verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. You see, you're not supposed to have a sinner touch you. You become unclean, especially one who is this kind of sin because he'll be associated with her and he will be unclean as well. And what they saw in that room when she walked in, what they saw is someone who was hopeless. They saw someone who had no potential. They saw someone who had no hope of being forgiven, no hope for a good life, who had chosen her trajectory and it was sealed and her fate was done. And there wasn't a thing in the world she could do about it. She was an outcast, would always be an outcast and always be set aside as someone who was a loser. That's what they saw. A woman that had no hope. All she knew was failure. And that's all she was ever going to know in their minds. So Simon looks at her and says, what is he thinking letting a woman like that touch him? He's out of his mind. He's not a prophet. See, I wonder how many of us, if we were honest, if we would step back and we would say, you know, there's certain people that I see and I see their lifestyle and I think, oh, that person blew it. They're done. They chose the wrong direction and so we're for them. See, I don't think we'd ever say that out loud, but I think inside our brain sometimes we say, oh, that person's so far gone. See, thankfully, Jesus was in the room because he saw something totally different. And as, he goes, as you go through the story, he tells the story about the one who owed 500 denarii and 150 and how the one who had been forgiven more would, would, would just have the bigger heart, implying that the woman that washed his feet had so many mistakes that her heart had grown incredibly she'd experienced incredible forgiveness. Verse 44, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You see, you didn't have to give someone water to wash their feet, but it was a, it was a common courtesy you would do, especially for a guest of honor. 
And Jesus wasn't getting on to Simon. He was just saying, listen, she's treated me completely different than you have. Right? So it goes on. You did not give me a kiss, which would have been a common thing uh, to come into someone's house. But, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, oh, I'm sorry, and you did not put oil on my head, which would uh, definitely a guest of honor thing, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And so Jesus, he saw this woman, this unclean woman, this woman who was a sinner, this woman who was an outcast. And, and so you have to imagine to recline at the table, if you were to sit 